the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy and ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. It is a great day when I get to talk to Pete Peterson. He is, of course, the dean and at uh, Pepperdine School of Public Policy. It's a great website, uh, easy to remember, publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. One of the things I like about Pete is not only that is he really, really smart, and I always learn from him, just listen to him, and he encourages you about life generally. Pete, welcome back. Great to be with you, Seth, even on, even on these days, maybe especially on these days. Yeah, especially on these days. It's good that we, uh, we, it's, uh, that we ex- exercise our duty to build each other up uh, and yeah. by each other, not just you and me, but, you know, our audiences, our customers, uh, our students, our friends, our fellow Americans, our citizens, fellow citizens. And I want to talk about that with you, Pete. Um, uh, I want to get the sense of what's going on. You're at a school p- at Pepperdine at the School of Public Policy. I want to talk to you about um, a, an issue you have focused a lot on over the past year and a half, couple of years, having to do with um, the severe issues of loneliness in society yep. and what um, things like social distancing and self-quarantining uh, do to impact that. And then I wanted to ask you this question, if I can do it in reverse, Pete, and start with this one. I was doing this with my listeners, and um I may not be as articulate as I want to be, but let me see if I can communicate it to you. Some of us, and I'm not sure what camp you were in, but some of us uh, a week ago, two weeks ago, and really up through about Monday, were um, trying to say the most important thing here is not to overreact. Um, The most important thing here is not to lose our heads not to take a small thing and turn it into a bigger thing than it needs to be with regard yep. to the coronavirus. Over the last 48, 72 hours, maybe, a lot of us are kind of moving a little more, not into overreaction mode, but into the mode of um, we need to be a little more serious about this than we were. Yep. And it comes with high costs, not to we who say it. It comes with high costs to the small businessmen. And women. It comes to high costs to the employers, uh, the proverbial busboys, uh, the, pro- the proverbial hourly wage workers. There's a lot of high costs here. Um, and um, I don't know, Pete, uh, I, I don't know how to put this, but yeah. just to say that I, I, I've moved a little bit further in, in, into a direction with some others that um, I'm, you know, I'm not sure if I'm right or if I'm wrong. Well, I, if we're talking about some of the, the federal government's role yeah. and, and some of their re- proposed responses, yeah. 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 I'm, I'm with you on that. And I, I don't think it's a, uh, a distancing from principles. I think it's in, uh, something that conservatives are very good at, which is acknowledging reality. And as it relates to some of these economic issues, I think what some who might be of a more libertarian strain – 
might not fully understand is there can be a tipping point on something like this where, frankly, it's not the market working. There will not be businesses to be rebuilt. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so in those kinds of instances, if there is a role for the government to play, and again, we can have an argument about at what level sure. government should be playing, sure. Uh, to try to push back that tipping point to keep alive, so to speak, uh, businesses and employers uh, to weather what we all hope and pray is a temporary storm. I I, I think that's just a, a frankly more realistic appraisal of our economic situation. Yes, I think that's well said. The way I kind of was trying to look at it is um, – America has customers. They're called citizens. And uh, you and I have a mutual friend. The audience knows who Dennis Prager is. And he's been talking about uh, one who is an example for others, Uh, uh, a friend of his who's in the uh, has to do with tourism business and holiday business. And his whole year has now been wiped out his whole year, his whole income. You may have heard the story. Uh, but there, we all we all have people and friends like that. We all have small business friends, or, or you know, we all know yep. these 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 situations, these examples, and that's heart wrenching. And yeah. there are things the government can do to help with that, help cushion it, help ameliorate it. On the other hand, we have this wage that you know we have to make. That if we're wrong, if we're wrong. We're going to have a lot more customers, a lot more citizens hurting a lot more than that. Yeah. Well, and I think that also needs to be balanced by the realization that some of the impact that businesses are feeling are actually due to government policy and decisions, right? So whether we're talking about uh, some of the actions that are being encouraged uh, or mandated uh, as we look at Uh, Some of the decisions different states and certainly uh, cities like Hoboken, New Jersey, are making, uh, these these are decisions that are completely out of the hands of business owners. Mm -hmm. And I think we we both agree that they're the right decisions to make at this time. But if if government is going to make decisions that uh, have this existential impact on businesses, then, then we ought to be considering ways that we can ameliorate that impact. That's the way to put it. That's the way to put it. If they're going to make, and that's a good use of that word, existential, existential effects on businesses, then the government also has the duty to uh, remediate it. Right. Yeah. I, 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 and, and, that's, and that's the focus, I think, you and I. And, and we do that all the time, yes, right? Absolutely. Seth, I mean, we, we talk about the, the, some of the trade impact you with bet. the back and forth with China. You bet. And the farm bill and and some of the ways – and we could argue about whether we should be passing those kinds of legislation. Stimuluses, bailouts, you bet. You bet. But but this is definitely uh, – businesses are feeling the impact of, of government decisions, and so we ought to at least be able to consider ways – the government itself can can respond. You you run a, a kind of a business of a of a sort. You're in the education yeah. business, Pete. What's what's the story with Pepperdine? How is Pepperdine handling it? How's the Pepperdine School of Public Policy handling it? Well, I have to say it, it's been a shining moment uh, that we don't know how long is going to last. But we have transitioned all of our classes across the four graduate schools and the undergraduate school to online that started this week i'm actually teaching my first online class tomorrow morning at what are you teaching so, so uh 
So I, I teach a class on public engagement and, uh-huh. and the use of technology oh, in great. local government. Oh, and great. so um, I'm actually going to have my own experience in teaching online. But uh, but we've, we're making this transition, and everybody from students to faculty to staff have uh, put their shoulder to the grindstone here um, and, are, and are working hard to make this, uh, in our case, the last four or so weeks of the semester, uh, one that uh, – one that is uh, still educational, of course, but also one where we can maintain community uh, because that really has been hit to your earlier point. Yeah, that's and that's that's what I want to talk about. It's the dissolution of community. That's something you've been working on for a while now. Uh, my starting point in understanding it was that Robert Putnam book uh, from, yeah. from was it almost 20 Bowling years alone. now? Is it that 20 years yeah, tw- two thousand. Yeah, bowling alone. There was an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal today that actually mentioned it, um, and it said today Americans aren't merely alone; they're not even bowling. <laughs> Sports, theaters, restaurants—they're all shut down. Yeah, yeah, that's true, Seth. And I, I think that is something we need to watch. But I found it very interesting in the in the directives coming out of the CDC. I'm sure a lot of your listeners have heard the the things that we're supposed to do, whether it's washing hands or uh, maintaining the social distance, but another one was make five phone calls. Uh, oh, I, oh I, and, I missed it. Tell me, tell me, tell me. Yeah, yeah. so, the, I mean, that's that's part of the directive that's coming out from health departments is that we are being asked to make five phone calls or contacts with, with neighbors or, or folks we know who might be in high-risk categories. And so here we are uh, with an opportunity um, in ways that certainly we wouldn't have understood prior to this crisis, uh, that we're being encouraged to connect one to another. And it may just be by phone or maybe by email, but it also could be knocking on a neighbor's door uh, just to make sure that they're okay and if they need help uh, to be that person. I don't know. I don't want to be too maudlin about this, but this seems to me a a natural reaction of Americans we may have forgotten or lost sight of in every major crisis, whether it was the Depression, whether it was World War II, I remember 9-11 very well and how that worked out. What was interesting, I was in D.C. when it took place, and what was interesting is we, we, have, we have a little bit of an, uh, an opposite uh, encouragement here in some respects. In 9-11, uh, though we were told, be, be ready for another big attack, though we were told uh, we don't know what it'll be or where, Though we were told the enemy, you know, was amorphous and not well understood and probably had uh, activated, uh, probably had um, sleeper cells in America that could become mm-hmm. kinetic um, and would be, uh, the, 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 the encouragement from the government went in the opposite direction of the encouragement today. They, they told us to go do things. Remember, George, yeah. George Bush said go shopping, uh, use the airlines. Um, I remember a kind of a heartening situation in, in Virginia there was an Afghanistan restaurant two or three days after 9-11. You literally could not get in. People wanted to show the proprietor, the small town, the small businessman who who was the owner of that restaurant. He, of course, came, you know, uh, after the Soviet invasion, um, and he was a good American citizen, uh, that there was no, you know, that we weren't being prejudiced, that we weren't going to boycott his restaurant. You couldn't get in. The lines were so long. Here we're told stay home. It's 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 hard for us to wrestle with that as the 
as the task of citizenship right now. But you were saying the government is directing is advising people that they do stay in touch other ways. Yes. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there there is a part of this uh, that and and our response to the coronavirus that that at least offers the prospect of of community building, uh, certainly more localized responses. Um, and again, that that advice that we're hearing from everyone from the CDC to uh, the the city health departments here in the Los Angeles area are to make sure that you're checking in with your neighbors mm-hmm. and uh, especially those that maybe maybe you don't know that well, but you know are older uh, or might be in at risk situations. Um, we just had a situation even where where we live in Santa Monica, our friends in the building right next door to us have just been quarantined. Oh my. Uh where where the the husband, a friend of mine, um was uh in a workplace where one of his coworkers has just tested positive and they're quarantined for at least the next week and so you know I never would have thought to ask them, you know, can we go stop by the the store to pick you up groceries or, you know, help with in any other way. But but sure enough, the the days that we're in today demand that kind of outreach and checking in and and doing doing those kinds of of favors one for another. We talk about uh, you talk an awful lot, not an awful lot, a good lot about the issue, the problem of loneliness. Um I remember, and and what I was going to ask if you would do is, is you would put some meat on the bones of what it can lead to, what its causes are. I remember hearing Mother Teresa once say, I'll, I'll, I'll not get it as well as she or as emotionally as she did, but she said, if you ever visit a nursing home, there's a very interesting effect when you open the front door in the major, you know, in the in the main room, the group, all the heads turn to that yeah. door. They all turn to that door, not not to see necessarily who's walking in, but thinking maybe someone there is coming to visit them. Mm. You know? Yeah. No, that is that is a very poignant way of putting the importance of checking in with with family, friends, and again, neighbors. Uh, it's rarely the case, although occasionally you hear in, you know, major cities when during the summer when it's, you know, you hit those kind of scorching months, occasionally a, a mayor will say, you know, check in on your neighbors if, you know, just to make sure. But this is now a national commendation uh, that we are being asked to check in on our neighbors, to check in on our family. Um, and, and again, we're doing this in a way that has a special urgency to it. Uh, of course, we all wish we it didn't have this urgency, but it does certainly put everything in perspective um, in a way that uh, uh, only a crisis can. Uh, Pete, um, when when we talk about what the dire consequences of of loneliness lead to, talk to me about what we're talking about. Yeah, so I mean, uh, increasingly, we actually have social science research and medical research into the real honest-to-goodness negative impacts of loneliness. Um, And they're coming from fields as diverse as uh, economics, uh, Angus Deaton and Anne Case, two Nobel Prize-winning economists at at Princeton, have uh, written and researched widely on what they call deaths of despair, which are 
these uh, actions taken by, in this case, uh, Americans, uh, whether it's alcoholism or the opioid uh, epidemic, or certainly we're looking into other unhealthy habits that are done really in response to alienation and loneliness. Uh, but then we have other research just in in the health field um, and and a whole set of issues that relate to the health impacts the the former uh, surgeon general under President Obama has now made this his life 's cause talking about the negative health impacts of being disconnected and and alienated. He actually equates it in some instances to smoking two packs a day. Mm. Uh, A lack of human contact can Mm. have some of those same deleterious uh, physical health impacts. And so uh, we we are much better now at understanding the consequences of it. Uh, The question is going to be whether we're going to resolve, and, and it might be a crisis like this, uh, to to re-engage um, uh, in, in ways that uh, that we we used to, um, but now we're finding out there are a whole new set of reasons why we must. Pete, is there um, a silver lining? Last minute here, I have uh, to do. Um, is there is there a potential silver lining with some of the online teaching that you and other schools are going to be engaging in? Uh, is, 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 is are the brick and mortar colleges and universities going to realize that maybe more and more this will be the case as homeschooling has done, as online charter schooling has done at the elementary and secondary levels that might bring down costs of higher education? Is that is that a potential that could come out of this? I think it's certainly possible. Uh, what it's definitely going to emphasize are the individual brands, if you will, of yeah. programs. Yeah. What are programs yeah. known for? Yeah. And can they extrapolate that into the online space? But it is is certainly possible uh, that it is going to cause cause a reassessment of, of how we're delivering uh, education, especially in higher education. Pete, it's uh, it's really good to talk to you on a day like today. It's rainy and gloomy here, but you li- li- you light us up always. You really do. Great to be with you, Seth. Thank you, Pete Peterson, the dean of the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. Again, when I'm talking about problems in higher education, Pepperdine School of Public Policy is the solution. Go check them out. Publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you or someone you know is interested in a career in public policy, thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. This is Jerry Boyer of Town Hall Finance for townhall.com. Amidst the chaos surrounding the coronavirus, it's worth asking how it got to the point of our now global pandemic. We should not overlook or quickly move past China's authoritarian messianic government. Remember, as the Wall Street Journal reported, one of the very first doctors to discover the outbreak was accused of, quote, spreading rumors. Another was forced to write a letter apologizing for the, quote, negative impact his warning had. The Chinese government is exceptionally harsh on anyone that questions the benevolence and competence of the Communist Party. That's how the Chinese cult of personality works. That's why they persecute the church. What kind of country would punish doctors for trying to prevent a plague? The kind that has replaced God with the state. I'm not preoccupied with calling it the Chinese coronavirus or the Wuhan virus, but there is no doubt the Chinese government does bear unique culpability. 
Sponsored by Alliance Defending Freedom.